It's Monday night, 9 p.m. Central Time. You're here. We're here. It's Locked On Sooners Live, and we get a commitment to talk about. We'll talk about Brennan Thompson. We'll also talk about Jaden Hardy because we hadn't got a chance to do that yet on today's episode of Locked On Sooners. You are Locked On Sooners, your daily podcast on the Oklahoma Sooners, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Sooner Nation? Welcome to Locked On Sooners Live. It's Monday night, 9 p.m. Central Time. My name is John Williams. You can follow me on Twitter at John9Williams. My buddy here is Josh Helmer. You can follow him on Twitter at Josh on Ref. You can also hear him Monday through Friday from 9 to noon on 94.7 The Ref in Norman. Thank you for making Locked On Sooners your first listen every single day. We're going to continue talking spring game throughout the week. We're going to talk recruiting. A big commitment potentially happening a little bit later this week that we'll break down as well. But Josh, we've got a commitment to talk about. From Saturday, but also from Monday night, let's start with the most recent one. Brennan Thompson, the Texas transfer wide receiver, a four-star wide receiver in the 2022 class, entered the transfer portal, committing to the Oklahoma Sooners. Huge news for the Sooners. It is, and it's rare that you see somebody come from one way or the the other across the Red River. Once you sign on that dotted line to either Oklahoma or Texas, man, the – I, I know we saw Trace Ford come from Oklahoma State to OU, so not that. And hold hold your comments on the Bedlam's not a rivalry. I got you. But generally speaking, we don't see a lot of shifting in between rivals. And certainly, even though you see you know the one with Trace Ford, you, you don't see a lot of that from Texas to OU or OU to Texas, vice versa. You've got one here in Brennan Thompson. And a lot of the things that we've talked about the everyday club if you're a part of the show uh, every single day you've maybe heard some of this but speed that's what speed do baby what mr brennan thompson is going to bring to norman and john hoover from uh, all sooners si also from uh, the animal out of tulsa had a really great tweet just kind of breaking down the speed element and i want to kind of share that with you guys real quick um Basically, he just compared him to Gavin Sawchuk, Jaquaze Petaway, the two guys on the roster that we've been talking about having this elite track speed. Uh, Gavin Sawchuk, his high school 100 time, 10.62 seconds. Jaquaze Petaway, who will be here in the summer, ran a 10.41 just recently. Brendan Thompson's personal record in the 100, 10.18. So a whole half second faster than Gavin Sawchuk and a quarter of a second faster than Jaquay's Petaway, the two guys that we were like most excited about and, or not the most excited about, but really, really excited about to add their speed. And you're getting a guy that's even faster that already has a, a little bit of collegiate experience under his belt. Now, not a lot, but a little bit, he's been in a college strength and conditioning program. He's been on a college roster going through the, the in and out the day to day grind of what it takes to be a collegiate student athlete. You get him on the roster and Hank, you know, right off the top brings up an excellent point. Texas fans are, are talking like, okay, if Xavier Worthy transfers, it's no no big deal. We got Brendan Thompson. Now that Brendan Thompson's transferring, he wasn't very good. That's just fans coping. I totally get it. We can, we've done the same thing over the last uh, year and a half um, with some of the transfers that left Oklahoma after the Lincoln Riley era. But there's a reason this kid was a four-star player. We talked to John Garcia on the show last Friday. If you didn't get a chance to check that show out, we talked to him. He, I mean, he talked about the same thing, just elite, elite speed. The dude's a playmaker. It's a fantastic, man, a fantastic addition for Jeff Levy in the offense. And, I mean, the the Texas thing adds a whole other element to it. But wherever this kid came from, it would have been a good addition. You don't get a chance to add that kind of speed to your roster every day. And you, I mean, you might not ever add that to your recruiting class or to a class, or you might go your whole career as an offensive coordinator and not have somebody that that's fast. Like that is like borderline Olympic fast uh, in the hundred meters. So you get him, get him in open field, get him in space, and it's going to be deadly. Like speed kills, and you can never have enough of it. Uh, and I mean, I'm really excited about this addition. Yeah, he's raw. He's un, you know inexperienced. Uh, from a production standpoint at the collegiate level, but I don't think it'll take very long before we start seeing that production start to mount 
for him, whether it's as a special teams player on punt and kickoff returns or as a, you know, just a gadget option on jet sweeps, they'll get him on the field. They'll figure out a way to make him impactful, even without necessarily giving him the football. Because when that speed's out there, you got to account for it somehow, some way, because the time that you don't, he's gone for 80 yards and a touchdown. So he's going to be an impactful player, even if he only has maybe 20 or 30 touches on the season. And Oklahoma's had great success. Not groundbreaking stuff here, John. Most every successful college football program has sort of that little scat back type wide receiver out there, slot type wide receiver that's, you know, what, what Brennan Thompson is, is measured at five foot 10 buck 65. I'm sure he's added weight since uh, he, he was a recruit, but not, not your six foot three, 195 pound receiver coming out of high school, five foot 10 and he can fly. Uh, guess what? One of the teams that uh, handed Oklahoma a loss last season, Deuce Vaughn. I know that you're talking running back and not wide receiver, but has some of those out of the backfield skills. And it's easy to see where Brennan Thompson can have a little bit of that for Oklahoma's offense. And Jeff Levy wants to do that, man. How many times last season did we see end around jet sweep, just different ways to get skill guys, the football in motion. And if you have that type of speed, which Thompson does, then just get him the football and let him go to work. And I think one of the things that we saw John from the spring game, we knew this thing going in, but we saw Oklahoma. Yeah. Could use some help at wide receiver right now, Jaden Gibson. I'm not going to, again, uh, I think what I've said the last couple of shows here, I'm not going to live in the world of absolutes with a spring game, but it's, I think fair to say you see Jaden Gibson, somebody we're counting on go out there and have a couple of inopportune drops for Oklahoma. This is someone that you feel like maybe he's going to be one of your top wide receivers. So if that's the world we're living in right now, wide receiver for Oklahoma, then come on down, Mr. Brennan Thompson, because help is on the way and it's needed. And I think specifically for wide receiver too, it's still pretty wide open. I mean, I think Angela Anthony made a couple nice plays. LV Bunkley made a couple nice plays, but yeah, nobody really put themselves far and away ahead of the pack in that wide receiver two competition. DJ Graham had the best game of all the wide receivers from a production standpoint, maybe Gavin Freeman as well, but yeah, you're, you're, you're still don't really have a definitive answer at wide receiver two. And maybe you never weren't going to have a definitive answer until fall camp, but now you throw another name into the mix, a guy that is going to factor in, he'll factor in at the slot as well, you know, competing with Drake Stoops, Gavin Freeman for some snaps as well. And, but again, he adds a different element to the game than those two dudes. And so you're going to get them on the field in certain packages and it's just going to be a little bit different offense. So, yeah, it's it's going to be intriguing to see kind of where he stacks up initially because we saw them bring in a couple transfer wide receivers after the spring game last year in LV Bunkley Shelton and JJ Hester, and they didn't really factor into the offense much in, tw- in that 2022 season. So how much is he going to factor in in 2023? I think it'll be similar to what we saw out of Gavin Freeman. You know, um, a handful of snaps here and there, you know, we'll, we'll send him downfield on a few go routes, see if we can catch a big play, catch him sleeping a little bit. We'll do a few end arounds, see if we can catch, again, catch him sleeping, use that speed, get it out on the edge. But I, I don't know if we'll see a full complement of snaps for him just because he's coming into the thing a little bit late. Um, but again, he could, he could really surprise and, you know, earn a role faster than what we might think. Uh, get him in now and he's got time to, acclimate himself to the playbook, spend time with Dylan Gabriel away from the, the team and start you know generating some chemistry with him, with Jackson, all those guys so that they can kind of get him up to speed and get him, uh, you know, like I said, fully acclimated to the offense. Well, and here's somebody that I'm watching the, the huddle tape right now. Is this somebody that even if it's not, Hey, Brennan Thompson, you step right in and you're acclimated offensively for Oklahoma. Is this somebody that all of a sudden can step back and return punts for you and be an electric factor there? That That is, look, uh, field the football and then uh, see blocks and run away from blocks, right? And follow blocks. You, you got the ability to go make something after, uh, you know, reeling in the punt then just go be a playmaker. So maybe that's something that Brendan Thompson immediately, even if it's not in the wide receiver core, how uh, he can impact things for Oklahoma, man. But I just challenge you, John, to tell me 
who is the yards after catch guy right now with Oklahoma? Am I going to be redundant when I continue to throw out Jalil Farouk's name for any wide receiver question that you ask me? That's, that's the guy. Like that's the guy that's going to make the most plays after the catch. He's going to get the most targets. He's going to have the most catches. And so I think he might not have the highest average yak because he's going to be catching balls all over the field at different spots. But I really do think that he is the, the top wide receiver option. He's going to be the top yak option because we've seen him do it. We've seen him, you know, take handoffs and make plays, you know, from behind the line of scrimmage. We've seen him take it on swing passes. We've seen him do it on wide receiver screens in the bowl game, the Alamo bowl game. He had a really strong, um, you know, yard after the catch uh, moment in that as well. So I think he's got, to me, he, he brings a little bit of the, you know, the wiggle, a little bit of speed, a little bit of physicality where he can make guys miss, but he can also run you over and force you to miss because I'm just going to bowl you over. Um, so that, I think that's the guy that's going to be your yak guy. But again, you know, Gavin Freeman, he's got some yak ability himself. Uh, you know, they'll scheme some things to get Drake Stoops, you know, on the perimeter, kind of like what we saw in the, you know, the naked, but the, the naked bootleg where he's running that kind of, um, it's not quite a drag route, just that, you know, shallow out and out. Um, so I, I don't know. I think there's quite a few guys, it's just a matter of you know, who's going to get the most touches for me. And I think that's going to be Jalil Farouk. Well, and look, I'm just going to low-hanging fruit again here. (laughs) Come on, man. Somebody coming from the University of Texas? Yes, second Saturday in October. Let's go, baby. Get rid of that 49 to nothing thing uh, real quick and go be a playmaker in that game, Mr. Brennan Thompson, and you will make one half of the Cotton Bowl very, very upset, and you will make the crimson half of the Cotton Bowl a very, very happy set of campers. So it's an intriguing storyline, right? We like good stories. This is a good story, John. It is a fantastic story, and if he does go out and ball out in the Cotton Bowl, uh, that would be fantastic. I think we would all really love to be petty about that one um, just because, you know, what are rivalries if we can't be a little bit petty? Uh, but coming up next, we've got to talk about another commitment that the Oklahoma Sooners got over the weekend. Happened on Saturday just before the spring game. Um, so we'll talk about that after we talk to you all about our friends over at FanDuel. Yeah, the Sooners heating up, ladies and gentlemen, on the recruiting trail. Speaking of heating up, it's time to uh, heat up on the diamond. Grand slams, no hitters, double plays. They're back, baby. Major League Baseball in full swing action over at FanDuel where you can jump in. That's America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers, no sweat first bet when you step on up to the plate. That's up to $1,000 if your first bet does not win back in bonus bets. The no sweat first bet fanduel.com backslash locked on where you can sign up for that fanduel an official partner of major league baseball is it nice to just uh or is it is it nice is it a good idea is it good practice for us to just kind of run down the timeline here of recruiting wins of late for oklahoma obviously uh you know Jaden hardy we need to talk about that but just this little tear that oklahoma has been on john and I will say, Locked On Sooners has told you, just be patient, everybody. Get through the spring game. This is just how last year played out on the recruiting trail for Oklahoma. Get to the spring game, and all of a sudden, zero commits turns into three, turns into five commits, and all of a sudden, it's an avalanche by the time we're done with the months of June and July. And it feels like we're on that same trajectory, John. Yeah, we absolutely yeah, we absolutely are. Sorry, I, might, I thought I might have been muted there for a second. Force to have it. Um, since March 25th, that's less than one month ago, the Oklahoma Sooners have gotten five commitments to the 2024 recruiting class. And then, yeah, Brendan Thompson, you add him into the 2023 recruiting class. But since March 25th, you've gotten Jeremiah Newcomb, four-star. You've added Michael Hawkins, four-star on April 8th. You added uh, Isaiah, sorry, KJ Daniels, a three-star player on April 17th. You got an Isaiah Autry, a three-star player with 247 Sports, but a four-star player elsewhere on April 21st. And then on Saturday, April 22nd, you added four-star Jaden Hardy, who happens to be the Oklahoma Sooners' most highest-rated prospect that they've added to the recruiting class thus far. So it's a big big commitment for them. Uh, And again, the ball is rolling. The dominoes are toppling over and over and over again. And yeah, man, things are, things are looking up and 
we're going to get another one this week. It's just, this is just kind of, kind of how it's going to be over the next few months. It's like every week or every two weeks, there's going to be a new member of the 2024 recruiting class uh, making their pledge to the Sooners. And again, Oklahoma locking down that Lone Star State into Louisville to uh, pick up the commitment from one Jaden Hardy. If uh, you're unfamiliar, I know a lot of our everyday club here on Locked On Sooners. I know many of you very much dialed into what's going on in the hashtag Cruton world. But for those of you that are not, and you're like, okay, wait a second, another commitment. Tell me more about Jaden Hardy. We got you covered. Top 150 guy per 24-7 sports. Uh, that is uh, the 24-7 sports, just their ranking. In the composite ranking, just a little bit outside of that, he's number 162 nationally there, but uh, regarded as a top 30 player in the state of Texas, John, top 15 safety nationally. And, uh, oh, by the way, he has, as you would expect from somebody committing to the University of Oklahoma under this uh, regime here, he's got a nice little sheet of offers. Alabama's there. Uh, Arkansas, Baylor, LSU, Miami, Michigan State. Uh, should I go on? Oregon, Penn State. It's it's the offer sheet. Texas is there. You want out over Texas and Texas A&M in this recruitment for Hardy. So it's a big-time recruiting win for Oklahoma, and it keeps that positive momentum defensively uh, for the suitors on the hashtag Cruton Trail. Yeah, it's another athletic player that they can add to their secondary. And again, over the last three years, the 2022, 2023, 2024 cycles, they've added a ton of blue chip prospects to the defensive backfield. Like we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, or maybe it was just last week where they only have two starters from either side of the football that were starters back in 2021, Woody Washington, Andrew Rain. But you think about the defensive backfield and the overhaul that has transpired for Oklahoma, for Brent Venables, for Jay Valai, for Brandon Hall. I mean, it, it was a little bit bleak there for a minute, but with Jaden Rowe, Robert Spears, Jennings, Gentry Williams in the 2022 class, then you had Peyton Bowen and Dave McCullough and Josiah Wagner and Makari Vickers. Um, so other Kendall Dolby, like, I'm going to forget all these names because they added so many blue chip prospects in the 23 cycle. And then you come back in 2024 and you're getting the, you're, you're keeping that momentum going in the cycle. When you add a four-star player in Jeremiah Newcomb and a four-star player in Jaden Hardy, this, this group of coaches, Jay Valai, Brandon Hall, they've been incredible since showing up to Norman on the recruiting trail. And that's what kind of gives you a lot of optimism, not just those guys, but the whole staff in particular, is they're just stacking talent on talent, on talent, on talent. And yeah, you can send waves of defensive backs out there. You lose one, you're still going to feel really good about where you're at because of the guys that you're bringing in. And I mean, based on everything that we're hearing, they're bringing in dudes like legit dogs to their secondary, like Josiah Wagner, Brent Venables can't, and Ted Roof can't speak highly enough of Josiah Wagner, a true freshman who's been on campus four months, less than maybe, only spent the last month, you know, doing spring football with Oklahoma. And they're like, this guy's ready. Like he, he's got the right attitude, the right mentality, but that's the type of defensive back that they're bringing in guys that are going to show up and they're going to be kind of ready to compete from day one. They're not going to be sitting back waiting, waiting their turn because they want to play. They they're grinding out there trying to play. So adding another one, like Jaden Hardy, a guy who's very athletic, he's got good range. He's good at the point of attack. He's a physical tackler. He's going to come downhill. He plays with speed. He plays fast. Again, another couple, another real element of Oklahoma's you know defensive transition is they're looking for dudes that play fast, like guys that aren't going to be slow to the football. They're going to be getting after it. That's what they added in Jaden Hardy. And again, big time commit. I know there's a lot of kind of like consternation over what they lost in Aaron Flowers. Well, you added another really good safety prospect in Jaden Hardy. So like, okay, things didn't go that way for Aaron Flowers. You didn't end up getting him. He goes to USC. Well, he still added a really, really good player to the cycle in Jaden Hardy. What do you think here? Jaden Hardy comparison? You like the DeLaren Turner yell comp? I don't know that uh, the tape I'm watching right now, I don't know that I've seen that much dty just yet i'd love if he morphed into that i i think dty was kind of an underrated guy at uh, the university of he just got injured too much 
yeah, injury concerns and, you know, the some of the whole parts probably just wasn't, you know, great throughout that uh, entire time with uh, mm-hmm. Oklahoma. But, uh, you know, one thing I kind of dig is his dad was a former linebacker for Tennessee. So to me, it's like, I, I like the fact that dad has, if you're playing safety, I like the fact that dad was playing linebacker, right? So if you're asking me, does he compare to DTY? Well, I maybe just don't know enough to say confidently, yes, that he does. But I can tell you that dad has instilled in Jaden, hey, fly downhill and pop somebody, which I like that part of it for his safety. Well, it's kind of like the reverse of, you know, um, was it was it Kevin Sperry, whose dad played linebacker, you know, and then and Mike Hawkins, Michael's dad, who played cornerback. Like, you got, you got all this influence influencing the offensive side from former defensive players. Well, now you got a defensive player influencing a defensive player. So you know that he's going to come with physicality. Otherwise he's going to have to hear it from his dad. That's just, that's just the way it's going to be. So yes, uh, a, you know, a five eleven dude, he's got, he's got good size. He's got, he's going to have room to add, you know, weight and, and functional strength to his frame. Uh, but a, a really good, a really good addition for the Sooners. And again, it, it just continues to snowball what they've done on the recruiting trail, especially at defensive back. I've just been so impressed with what they're doing there. And, you know, we talk a lot about the blue chip prospects, but even the three-star guys that they added uh, in this last cycle and Eric McCarty, um, that, that's going to be a really, really strong addition for him, for them. I mean, as a safety prospect, he, just a, a really good football player, a good athlete. Um, th- this is just really impressive. I really like the addition and man, it, it's just getting started. They, they're going to have so many more, you know, defensive backs that they add, it's going to get crowded at, at some point, but you don't worry about that. That's one of those good problems that the coaches have to figure out. So I know we want to talk about Oklahoma continuing to trend for a couple of wide receivers, but as we shift our conversation back to some of your comments and the spring game itself, again, uh, talking safeties here, I think one of the big takeaways is safety looks like it's in a good spot. And if I haven't butchered this, I believe this will be Brent Venables talking about Peyton Bowen's interception. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Excellent play. And uh, can't wait to watch the film to see, you know, how early he got the jump on the ball. Uh, but, you know, excellent football play. And, you know, he's missed over half the spring um, because he had a little hammy. So we had to hold him out for several practices, but, uh, the best football for him is certainly in front of him and uh, really uh, talented and instinctive and really does a, a great job of anticipating. And if he ever, he just doesn't panic as a player, you know, he's got a real, he's like that cor- quarterback that'll, no matter what kind of kabuki you're throwing at him, he'll climb the pocket and be patient and keep his eyes down the field. That's how Peyton is at, at a sa- as a safety and can play multiple positions back there. John, Football is easy. Uh, three words that we, we like here, and I know we didn't hear those right there, but I just, you know, from the, the first spring availability, Brent talking about Peyton Bowen. And you know what? I, I will say this, okay? The, the interception that he had of Dylan Gabriel, terrific play. Uh, nice to see a defensive back come down with the football when given the opportunity to, you know, come down with the football. That being said, it was into the wind. It wasn't really, I wouldn't describe as a great decision from one Dylan Gabriel. So all is, all is of which is saying, okay, was it the greatest defensive back play of all time? No, it wasn't from Peyton Bowen. But, hey, wasn't it nice to see somebody in position to go make that play and then make the play when given said opportunity, John? Even if he hadn't made the interception, the fact that he got into phase with the wide receiver, turned his back, or, you know, he he's basically playing box out, turned his head, and he's looking back for the ball, like – what more could you ask for? And then he makes the play. He comes down as Andrew Anthony's really battling him to try and get back in position. You know, Keith Jackson's talking about, I, I rewatched some of the game today and Keith Jackson's talking about on the broadcast where Andrew Anthony just got to interfere with the dude and, and just not let him make that play. But Peyton Bowen, man, he, he's got him kind of draped on him and he has the concentration and just the ability to come down with that and basket catch it. Like he did was an incredible play. I mean, the the athleticism, the ball skills, the football IQ, just the the doing the simple things really really well, um, and, and I think that's what stands out so far. You know, there's a comment in in the comment section that he should be starting at safety by you know the the Red River Showdown, and maybe, but the safety position as a whole has just gotten better. 
you know, from Billy Bowman to Key Lawrence, Reggie Pearson, there's people talking about Pearson. It's, it's fine. Like Pearson had a really, really good game. And I asked Ted Roof about that, but he was quick to also talk about Key Lawrence. And now he's done a really good job this spring and how those two have really battled well in the, you know, the safety competition as well. So like the safety position as a whole has just gotten better. So even if Peyton Bowen's not starting by the Red River showdown, that's not a bad thing. That just means that everybody's gotten better, that Billy Bowman's gotten better, that Key Lawrence has gotten better, that Reggie Pearson has added the things that we thought he was going to add in, in physicality and toughness and, and an edge to the defensive backfield. And so if Peyton Bowen's not starting, that's no like slight to him at all. He's a true freshman player. He's going to get snaps. He's going to earn opportunities. But because the safety position is so much better, it's not a foregone conclusion that he's going to start at any point in time in his true freshman season, but he's going to see a significant amount of snaps because you can't keep a guy that appears to be that good off the field all the time. And this is what you're, you really want, right? You want to be able to go, you know, too deep at every position and feel really good about, okay, you know, Billy's got to step off the field for a minute because, you know, he tweaked something or he's just been out there so much. He just needs a breather. We roll Peyton out there. We feel a hundred percent confident that we're not going to get burned like we did in the TCU game a year ago when we were down safeties and we had no other options. We're going to feel really confident that Peyton's going to know exactly what to do. He's going to be in control, in charge of the defensive secondary. And he's going to make a play if the ball comes his way. That's what you want. You want to be able to go too deep because you can't have your defense playing 900, 1,000 snaps like they did with the linebacker crew a year ago. You just can't do it. But everywhere across the board on the defensive side of the ball has got depth now. And that is beautiful to see. And we saw a glimpse of it in the spring game. I know like we're not, we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves. We'll see it when they get into Big 12 play too. I think some of the things that we're seeing, they translate. Whether it's, you know, Peyton Bowen and just the skills that he used. You know, we can talk to Sean McCullough too. Like the Sean McCullough and what he was doing, like flying around the football. Hank mentions it. He was everywhere. Absolutely everywhere. He jumped off like... I had not sat down in my seat in the press box, but a couple minutes and I looked down and I'm like, Oh, there's number one flying across the field. That's the Sam McCullough making a play. Oh, there he goes again, making a play. Oh, here he is again, making a play just all over the place, making plays. That's fantastic. You add him to a Danny Stutzman, you add him to, you know, what you had in, in some of your guys on the defensive line, that are coming back. Like you're adding talent to what you thought was some, some good players, just not a good collective. Are we good with Indiana assassin for McCola as a nickname? I mean, I came up with, I, I, I attributed Slim Charles to him. I don't know if you're a fan of the wire. If we got anybody in the comment sections of the fan of the wire, Slim Charles, he was muscle for Avon Barksdale uh, in season three of the wire and uh, Stringer Bell's coming to him. And Stringer Bell is Avon Barksdale's, you know, you know, accomplice in crime, their partners. Um, he's wanting, you know, he, he comes to, to Slim Charles, the, the muscle. And he's like, I need you to hit somebody. And there's just a GIF out there and you can find it. If you just type in Slim Charles and it just says, who we hitting? And I just, that's the picture I had in my mind of Desan McCullough. It's like Brent Venable was like, all right, there's the team. And, and Slim Charles like, or Desan's like, all right, who we hitting? That guy over there, go get him. So what do you think? Should we call Tom Allen or just send him a care package uh, as a thank you? Because I agree with the commenters here. Suter fan says, Indiana developed uh, Desan McCullough good. Eric says, hey, thanks, Indiana. <laughs> Everybody's saying thank you to uh, the Hoosiers. And I'm with you, man. I mean, my goodness. Uh, and it might just be Desan McCullough is just kind of that dude. But he, also I, forget, he's a coach's kid. His that's father, right. Elon McCullough, is a running backs coach for, uh, for Notre Dame right now. Like, a football family. So, and his brother played, I think his brother was all the older brother was uh, maybe at Indiana or I can't remember exactly where he was. So it's a football family. And again, Indiana might've like, yes, they did a good job with him in year one. We're thankful for all that, but they also had him playing on the edge. He was an edge player. We're bringing him back to what, again, he feels really good, you know, playing in space. And it looked like he felt really comfortable playing in space when you got him lining up across from Gavin Freeman in the slot. And you're like, that looks odd, but was not at all out of place on that one. You want to hear a little bit more from Brent Venables, the head football coach? Hit me with it. 
Okay, here's Brent talking, and courtesy of uh, Sooner Sports, by the way, appreciate their hard work always. Talking about, well, not Desan McCullough individually, but, hey, transfer portal additions. Brent, it was a showtime city for the transfer portal edition. Again, there's a lot to still in front of us, but even prior to today, um, been incredibly uh, uh, pleased with uh, the work, uh, the buy-in, uh, the humility, the competitiveness, and then uh, the play. You know, it certainly hasn't been perfect uh, with any of them, but um, there's signs that, you know, we're moving in the right direction and, you know, that uh, bringing those guys in are making everybody else around them better. And certainly, uh, you know, they're going to be able to help us. That's again, goes without saying as well. That's probably, if you ask, okay, take all the positions and combine them together, right? Just one big takeaway. What's your one biggest takeaway from the spring game for Oklahoma? It's that newcomers are going to make an immediate difference, no doubt. Whether you're talking Peyton Bowen, if you're talking Desan McCullough, if you're talking Reggie Pearson, and we thought this, but we wanted to see some of that get confirmed in the spring game, John. And look, I'm here to tell you, just dating back to the Peyton Bowen conversation, Okay, am I ready to triple stamp the double stamp that he's starting for Oklahoma this season? Not necessarily, but man, if he's not playing a bulk of snaps for Oklahoma in 2023, I will be shocked. He's just too good not to. Desan McCullough, same thing there. He's flying around. I, I was curious how, you know, moving from edge to cheetah, what it was going to look like. You trusted Brent Venables, right? Because why would you, I know that there's the sour taste from six and seven, but Brent Venables knows how to coach defense. Okay. He knows where to put the puzzle pieces defensively. It's how he played for and won national championships at both Oklahoma and Clemson. It's how he routinely fielded some of the nation's best defenses, particularly the last decade or so at Clemson. So, we should have been confident that Brent Venables and this staff, and just just Brent, just Brent's decision to put Desan McCullough at Cheetah was the right decision. But you still want to, if you're anything like me, you uh, I don't want to say that you're glass half empty, but you just want to see things confirmed. You gotta see it to believe it, baby. And man, I'm sold. Desan McCullough, the staff got it right. He can fly around. I love what he's gonna bring to the table. For Oklahoma at Cheetah, there's no doubt they're going to be improved at that position. And I just think they're going to be improved across the board. You, you mentioned the transfer portal additions, getting Jacob Lacey, you know, being an impactful player on the interior. Rondo Bothroyd, same thing. Trace Ford getting snaps out there. A lot of these guys, I mean, they're going to have an impact. Reggie Pearson, who we mentioned already, it's going to be a very, very impactful class. It's an experienced class of transfer portal additions on the defensive side of the ball. And also, like your 2022 guys, some of those 2022 signings, they're starting to emerge and and take it, you know, get snaps with the first team. Like Grayson Halton, he got first team, you know, defensive tackle snaps at times in the spring game, and he was impactful. He had two sacks, five tackles. The the guy was really, really impressive. I mean, there's a lot of um, really impressive things about what's happening with Oklahoma's defense. Again, the proof is going to be in the pudding. When they play Cincinnati, you know, when they play Texas in particular, we're going to, we'll see for sure where this defense is, but all the signs right now point to trending in a really, really positive direction. We'll see if it transpires, but I'm really liking where they're heading across the board. I think the defensive line depth is better. The talent is better. The linebacker depth and talent, although a little bit more inexperienced with, you know, Stutzman, Kanick and, Deshaun McCullough, like if that's your starting kind of linebacker slash cheetah, I feel great about it. I mean, that's a really fast physical group and it's going to make you better. And then you're, you know, you're too deep. If you can go to Kip Lewis, who is all over the place. And then Kobe McKenzie, who just looks huge out there. Like he, to me, he looks like that prototypical kind of old school middle linebacker. That's just like six, four, two fifty, and can run and just going to crush people. Um, just a lot of a lot of talent that's been added to the defensive side of the football over the you know the last two cycles, and it's going to start coming to fruition. They might not be a top fifty defense this year, but they'll certainly be much better than what they were in twenty twenty two. So, where do you stand on offensive line versus defensive line? Are you 
positive that the defensive line has taken some pretty serious steps forward here? Are you concerned about offensive line? Do you chalk it up to Rouse and others just not being able to go? How do you sort of reconcile everything? Because look, and we talked about this on yesterday's episode, but for those that are with us live, hey, appreciate you guys being uh, with us for Locked On Sooners Live. 38 attempts rushing, 112 yards. That's 2.9 per carry. So running the football, it's a spring game. I'm not going to panic Anakin here, but it was just okay running the football. So where do you reconcile all of that? There are still questions about the offensive line. The second team offensive line seemed to struggle a whole lot more than the first team, whether it was penalties, pass protection, run blocking. It, it was it was rough. But, you know, a lot of it was they were going up against the first team defensive line for a lot of that at times. Um, you know, the the first team offensive line, you, you're down Walter Rouse. Uh, you still haven't really figured out left guard. But otherwise, I felt like the protection was really good. They did a good job creating a pocket for Dylan Gabriel. And then when there were, you know, times that he had to bounce and get out of the pocket, that's okay. Like, that's just going to be part of his game. But I felt like he had, for the most part, he had enough time to throw the ball. Um, the running game still needs some work both sides but some of that just comes from familiarity too like they've been practicing against each other you know all spring long and the running game is probably one of those things that you can kind of figure out a little bit more or you can get your keys in on a little bit more and and you know what that you know that right guard's going to do on this play or what you know what their strengths and weaknesses are so i feel i got questions but I still feel like there's promise because you do get a Walter Rouse back. You still have a competition going on at left guard. You know, Caden Green's not going to be your starting left tackle. And while he was good at times, that, that's a big jump, you know, from high school to, you know, jump into college and then starting at left tackle um, when he's projected to probably play guard for the Sooners. And so, you know, we'll see. I, like, it, like I said about all of it, I mean, I feel better about the defense than I do the offensive line but I still want to see all of it when they travel to Nypert stadium and play Cincinnati in a hostile environment. I'm not going to learn anything. I don't think those first three games against Arkansas state and, you know, Tulsa and SMU, unless they were to get upset in one of those games. And I think we'd learn a lot, but otherwise I don't think we'll learn much, but it's when big 12 play really takes off and they play, you know, at Cincinnati and then they have to play in the Red River Showdown. That's when we're going to learn about this team. We'll, we'll find out more about where they're headed in 23. But it's still not the whole story. I know we're quick to put people on the hot seat. We're quick to want to move on if you know a team doesn't meet our expectations or a coach doesn't meet our expectations. But this is a process. This is a, this is a work in progress. They're building towards something. This is just year two of a massive, massive, massive overhaul where they've really torn the foundation, the structure down to the studs and no pun intended. And they're literally having to rebuild the entire program. And it doesn't happen in a day and it doesn't happen in one season or two seasons. So um, I, I, to answer your question, still a little concerned about the offensive line, feeling pretty good about the defensive line. Yeah. Let's just, let's just live in the, world the universe where defensive line oh come on man this defense are you kidding me we've turned a corner this is a top national championships yeah i mean please are you kidding me offensively we're gonna be fine dylan gabriel's back they'll figure out the skill positions it's coach Bow. he'll get this thing cranked up offensive line will improve they'll get guys back and oh by the way have you seen that defensive improvement so i I do think uh, it's obviously somewhere in the middle for oklahoma but uh, to see Oklahoma just more physical defensively at the point of attack was uh, on that end of the equation, a very, very good sign. And uh, offensive line, definitely my, my eyes have opened a little bit. I, you know, coming out of the Cheez-It Bowl, John, thought, okay, yeah, pass pro needs some work. But, man, this is going to be a physical, physical offensive line. I mean, the way Savion Bird was moving guys around in that game versus Florida State, they looked physical violent at the point of attack and we didn't really see that for the most part in the spring game so it would be dishonest of me to come on here in this uh, edition of locked on sooners live with all of you in the uh, everyday club and not say that look I-, I have a little bit of concern there what we saw with the offensive line but we'll see uh, how all of that 
comes together. Just before we shift into wide receivers, John, I know we got a couple more predictions there, and I don't know if there's anything else you want to get to from the spring game, but just because I, I did cut one final Brent Venables cut up, I thought one of the good stories, and I know it wasn't the same as last year when you had the enthusiasm of year one for Brent Venables and, uh, you, you know, in, in part the animosity toward Lincoln Riley leaving, the Oklahoma fans wanting to come together and show that, hey, this program, we're going to be okay, right? And you had that kind of emotional pull last year, and all of a sudden you have this wild record attendance crowd I would describe 54,000-plus as a good turnout for Oklahoma, sixth nationally. Uh, it wasn't the the tops in the nation like we saw a year ago, but to me it was a very solid turnout for OU. What did Coach Venables think? Yeah, no, it's, it's great. You know, again, uh, I've said this, you know, many times, and, of course, it's well known, you know, uh, the support that we get at the University of Oklahoma is second to none. And, uh, you know, again, we don't take a backseat to anybody when it comes to, you know, support, fan engagement, uh, the passion, uh, the love for the Sooners and the former players. You know, that's just uh, that's just not normal. And so I thought everything, the environment, I thought the uh, production, if you will, was was great. And uh, fans were, were fantastic. And for us, it's a great opportunity for it's the only opportunity we get before we play an actual game to get in a, a game day type of environment and see how guys handle uh, the emotion, uh, you know, and whether or not a guy will become paralyzed through uh, those moments. So it was huge. I mean, it was a huge turnout, you know, 54,000. That's a lot of people to show up to, to the spring game and the, you know, the weather conditions weren't great. It was cold and windy and, you know, when I was leaving the stadium, it got a little bit drizzly later on that, that evening. And um, yeah, man, not, yeah, it, it was, it was a really, really good turnout. And I think it's just going to be kind of the the standard at this point. Like if you do less than 50,000, it's going to be, you know, really disappointing. Um, I think better weather, it's going to be better turnouts um, as they continue to build this thing and, you know, figure out, a, you know, more ways to make it such a spectacle and, and enhance the pep rally environment that they've got going on. It's going to get even bigger and bigger. So super, super cool. You agree with this take from jet that we uh, owe a tip of the cap to our USC athletic director. We, uh, I don't know if he deserves an on-campus statue. Like we can like tuck him away somewhere off campus maybe because it's the USC connection. But if things start to trend in a positive direction and he did in fact save sooner football, does our man from USC deserve uh, some sort of recognition? Yeah, maybe I'll put a you know a little framed picture over here behind my my right shoulder in honor of Mike Bond. Uh, man, I don't know. That's we'll see. It, it's still the the book is out, but um, you know, it, the, here's the thing: Brent Venables did bring back a a level of enthusiasm that I think was missing a little bit under Lincoln Riley. You know, Lincoln Riley, really good offensive mind you know, really good recruiter of offensive players even. Um, and we're seeing that, you know, he can win a lot of football games at the same time. It, it didn't always feel like Oklahoma football. And, you know, my previous co-host, David Walker, he was a walk-on in the early two thousands. And I mean, he didn't mince any words, you know, in 2020 when, you know, they got out of the gate in big 12 play and they lost to Iowa state and Kansas state in back-to-back -back weeks. And he was one of the first people I remember asking, is Lincoln Riley has he kind of lost the magic, you know, is he, is he no longer the wonderkind? You know what I mean? Like have, have things changed and it certainly trended that direction. Right. You know, they, they weren't able to navigate the 2021 season without a couple losses as well. And it seemed again, just the enthusiasm for Lincoln Riley was just waning and the enthusiasm for the program was just kind of stale and stagnant. And Brent Venables has kind of brought that belief back that Oklahoma deserves to be playing for national titles. Oklahoma deserves to be at the top of the conversation, at the forefront of every conversation when it comes to national title contenders. That's, that's Oklahoma's standard. And, you know, he, he's rallied such incredible support for not just the football program, but just Oklahoma athletics over the last couple of years or last year and a half. I, I don't recall how many like million dollar plus donations have been made to Oklahoma's athletics department over the last year and a half. 
but I feel like it's far more than we're, than what we're happening during Lincoln Riley's tenure. And the, the, what the other thing that Brent Venables did when he got there is almost like demand a, a bigger commitment from the university, from the board of regents to football. And we see it in the recruiting expenses from the 2022 calendar year. Like they were double any year. They were double the best year of Lincoln Riley's tenure, you know, at at what 2.6 million spent on recruiting expenses in 2022's calendar year, according to USA Today Sports. So like Brent Venables, man, he's going to continue to do that. He's going to continue to rally people and generate support and energize a fan base and energize an alumni base that, seems like more engaged and enthusiastic about the program than I can remember. Um, And that's going to continue to build. And this season when they go and they win nine or 10 games, it's going to like take an exponential upward trajectory and enthusiasm for what this program is going to be because he just, he just inspires belief. He inspires that, you know, and, and that's why we were able to just buy into all the hype last year and not worry about so much of the turnover, despite, you know, what was it just 40 guys on the roster that were a part of the program because Brent Venables made us believe like he made us believe that this was going to be a great thing. And it's going to be, this is going to be a great thing. Again, it may not happen this year, but like I said, on the, on the Monday show by 2025, this team will be a legitimate national title contender with an, an offense that can score with the best of them and a defense that can stop anybody. Okay, so let's toss this onto a sticky note here, John. That's what we like to do in the radio studio. Whether or not we actually revisit said sticky notes, okay, well, that's another story. But the idea is toss it on the window. We'll come back to it, revisit it later. This is a perfect summer conversation from Jed. The Sooners haven't fielded a legitimate playoff contender since they lost to Tebow in the national championship game. And then uh, let's see here. Our Somebody else, yeah, Sooner Cowboys said, eh, they should have won that year with Mayfield. So – chalk that up as our summer debate okay was that a legitimate national championship contender with mayfield or was there still much work to be done just collectively for oklahoma because there was a ton of offensive talent nfl talent on that uh, 17 team but obviously they weren't up to uh, snuff defensively and that's kind of how it played out in the second half of the georgia game which is what you're trying to build right now a holistic national championship contender where it's it's everything you do is championship, offense, defense, special teams, the day-to-day, all of that. Now, uh, as uh, Sooner Cowboys out there said earlier, too, coach can have all the energy he wants. I cannot see another six and seven season. And I got news for you. You are not alone out there, uh, Mr. Sooner Cowboy. There's a lot of people that feel that way. And I'm assuming that Sooner Dallas Cowboys, just to clear up anybody listening on the podcast that said, wait a second, this is not an Oklahoma, this is not locked on Oklahoma State here. Uh, so get that nonsense out of here. I'm assuming that is Oklahoma Sooners, Dallas Cowboys, but we'll, we'll see. I mean, obviously Oklahoma needs to make some serious progress this season. Uh, any final takeaways that you had from the spring game that we haven't touched on? We haven't really talked quarterbacks tonight. What did you make uh, of what we saw quarterback wise for Oklahoma? I think Dylan Gabriel is Dylan Gabriel and he's good. He's going to be really good at times. He's going to be great at times. Uh, there were a couple, you know, I mentioned the one overthrow to Andrew Anthony or this is LV Bunkley Shelton on the over route. And then we had the interception, but then I was watching the game back and then he had another overthrow on a fourth down play, you know, down near the goal line where he's got him in the back of the end zone and just sails it a little bit too high. So if I'm nitpicking, which, you know, that's what we kind of do here on, on sports analysis talk is uh nitpick things like those are misses and you, you, know, you can't have those, especially on a fourth and goal from the three, you got to convert those. You got to convert a touchdown when the guy's wide open. It, it was an issue last year, you know, uh, Dylan Gabriel overthrowing people. Um, but I still think he's your best option at quarterback right now. And I think he's going to win you a lot of games. Remember, this is an offense that scored a lot of points last year. It wasn't the offense that let them down. It was the defense that, you know, gave up 40 points, gave up 50 points at times that, that really let you down. So if they're able to improve defensively, this is easily an eight win team, nine pushing for 10 realistically. Um, 
I thought Jackson Arnold had some good moments. I thought he had some moments where he looked like a true freshman. Again, like I said on, on our show that published Monday morning, at least he threw for more yards than Arch Manning. We got that going for us. Um, and then the running ability was fantastic. You know, somebody mentioned that Davis Bevel got quicker. He got better too. He just looked so much more, you know, composed. He looked so much more poised in the pocket. He, he looked like he could throw the football well. And again, I, I come back to the idea that, okay, he didn't arrive into Norman until after the spring game. He was a late transfer portal arrival. At the same time, like, I still believe that they could have done a better job at getting him prepared for the Red River Showdown and not just going in with their tail tucked between their legs. Excuse me. I'm, I'm going to say that. Their tail tucked between their legs and the passing game because they, they, had, they had no confidence. They had no confidence in anything that they could do throwing the football. And, and to me, that's, that's a failure of the coaching staff because it looks like the talent is there. I mean, he's a power five quarterback. He was at Pitt. He is at Oklahoma. So you should be able to get something out of him much better than what you got in the Red River Showdown. So in, intrigued by that, I don't think the backup quarterback job is anywhere settled. I think we assume it's Jackson Arnold, but from the performance I saw out of Davis Bevel, I'm like, okay, he might still be kind of in the running for this thing. Um, yeah, so it, it'll be interesting to see it. Again, Dylan Gabriel's the starter. You know, Jackson Arnold, if something were to happen to Dylan Gabriel and he got hurt for an extended period of time, I could very well see them, you know, it'd be the Jackson Arnold show from there on. But say Dylan Gabriel gets hurt for a series, they might feel more confident going with a veteran presence and a Davis, you know, bevel to get him through for a series than, you know, to potentially waste a red shirt or waste a game on Jackson Arnold and potentially blow his red shirt. I, I know that the red shirt thing is probably not going to be a factor for Arnold or Michael Hawkins or Kevin Sperry down the road, but just something to just, just to consider. But I, I think the quarterback situation, I feel much more confident. And even Jeff Levy said it after, you know, in the post game, he's like, I feel much better about our quarterback situation now than I did a year ago. Out of respect for my friends in the state of Oklahoma and abroad and my family in the state of Oklahoma and abroad, I will not stand for these positive comments for one, for one Davis Bevel. I'm sorry. I can't do it. <laughs> I, it's not personal. I promise. I really, I, I want nothing but the best for him, but the, uh, the Texas he looked game, good. He looked good. He had a nice day. I know. I'm just, I'm just playing around. I'm just, just messing around. It was, uh, it was good to see. It was good to see. And I agree with you. I think, uh, just collectively Oklahoma's quarterback situation, top to bottom, clearly in a, a much better situation. And, you know, Nick Evers, who was here and now is gone. You kind of look at, uh, What's going on at Wisconsin? Sounds like he's buried on the depth chart up there. So that might have actually just been a recruiting miss at the time for Oklahoma. But, hey, that's neither here nor there. That's uh, in the rearview mirror. And wish wish him, uh, Nick Evers, and, and their family nothing but the best. Not rooting against anybody for sure. But uh, you've upgraded by, by bringing Arnold in. And I think you're going to continue to upgrade at the quarterback position by uh, what you've got committed and uh, hopefully eventually signed in these next couple of classes. And speaking – of what's coming ahead in the uh, days to come here on Locked On Sooners. Why don't we bring some of that audio from you in, in video if you're watching along on the YouTube side from Jeff Lebby, from Ted Roof. I mean, we got so much from the spring game that we just still haven't passed along to everybody. And you're right. I mean, Jeff Lebby said as much that, John, they're in a better spot quarterback-wise. Yeah, there's a lot of there was a lot of really positive comments. I think everybody is realistic though that they've still got a lot of work to do, but they felt encouraged by what they saw out of the spring game. And I think that's where we should be. We should feel encouraged. You know, I, I was I was commenting on Dalen Smothers' run on Twitter on our Lockdown Suitors Twitter account and just thought, man, that was just a fantastic run. And then somebody, of course, because it's Twitter, it never fails. Somebody's like, Yeah, we just need to learn how to finish tackles better. I'm like, come on, man, just enjoy the good run. Just enjoy the Dalen Smothers was fabulous that he bounced off tackles and he uses agility and his speed and he was making a play like just enjoy that like we don't got to be debbie downer about every single thing that happens just enjoy a nice play like let's just enjoy that please it's a spring game it's an exhibition you take the positives you you acknowledge the negatives but you don't put too much weight on any of it you just enjoy it it's sports just enjoy yourselves folks now um just a lot there's a lot of positive again i think the talent has improved over the last two years and that and to me that's the thing that stands out because and it's not just like guys making plays it's just the way they look the way they run the way they hit 
you know, the, again, we go back to Desan McCullough, like the way he met Gavin Sawchuk in the hole on a third and two um, was just absolutely physical and like in it knocked Gavin Sawchuk's helmet off. Um, but it was just, it was mean. It was nasty. And that's coming from what looks and appears to be one of the nicest dudes you'll ever meet when I got a chance to talk to him. I and mean, he was just so kind and just really, really nice guy, but man, he plays fierce. Um, so yeah, like let's be encouraged by the spring game. Cause I am, I, I feel really encouraged. And again, I'm a glass half full type of guy. I live life hopeful and optimistic. And that gets me into trouble a lot of times on predictions because that's just the way things go at the same time. I think there is a ta- there is a objective talent improvement that's occurred at Oklahoma. Now, how that translates to wins, we're going to get to find out here in about uh, four months' time, five months' time, when Oklahoma first gets to take the field, because that's really when it's going to matter. That's when we're going to know. Um, and so I'm going to hedge a little bit. I'll I'll tamper my expectations until we see this team against Big Twelve competition. But again, I feel really good about where they're at. And let's just table the Oklahoma's trending for a couple of wide receivers, and we'll jump into that in full on uh, tomorrow's episode of Locked On Sooners for the Everyday Club. I'm with you. Let's live in the world of positivity. But even though that's kind of why this marriage between John and I works so well is because he's a very positive person, and I don't, I don't know that I'm a very negative person. You're not a very but... negative person. <laughs> in in sports, I'm maybe a little bit more cynical and I, I like I need to see it to believe it kind of guy I tried I'm trying <laughs> it's my new year's resolution we've made such progress here in 2023 I'm so much more positive today than we were even two weeks ago John we've really really come a long way but I, I do get caught up in the okay I need to see it to believe it and uh, I would just say you know some final thoughts on the quarterback play let's see here uh, there's some comments on Dylan Gabriel, the, the staff being afraid to play the, the right quarterback. I don't know that I feel that way about the staff right now. I, you know, I come away from the spring game and I see a couple of plays where the, the end of the spring game was awesome for Jackson Arnold, right? I mean, the, the, the run itself, maybe they wiped the touchdown off the board. Maybe they didn't. We'll never know because guess what? He's got the blue uh, Jersey on. And Oh, by the way, they're not going to tackle to the ground in the spring game, but we see the athleticism, the explosion there. He's got a different gear. Arnold does run in the football than Dylan Gabriel. That's obvious though. Gabriel's a, you know, solid runner. He's not Jackson Arnold running the football, right? The throw to Gavin Freeman was delicious late in the contest. The throw to Gibson, that, that, you know, should have won the thing was a, was a really nice throw. And yet, guess what? A couple of footballs get batted down at the line of scrimmage. So there's some operational stuff for Jackson Arnold. And part of that probably is because of uh, the offensive line at times. You probably could say this about both quarterbacks, John, that you, you can't totally evaluate just the quarterback play without saying, okay, well, let's see what it looks like when you truly have the ones out there for both. But that being said, I saw some operational stuff. To me, a very uneducated point of view to where I say I do think, honestly, Dylan Gabriel is still, to me, ahead of Jackson Arnold. Now, there's time between now and the start of the football season, so I'm not going to totally rule it out. But to me, based on what I saw in the spring game, John, yes, I do think that Dylan Gabriel is your starting quarterback, and I think that that's how it's going to play out. Yeah, the, the coaching staff has ultimate trust in him. They believe in Jackson Arnold's ability. But again, the dude's just a true freshman. I think we've, we're have we because of recruiting, and again, we love recruiting. It, it provides fantastic content and storylines and drama and all that. But you're not going to see every single true freshman become a starter first year. You know, the Caleb Williams situation with, with you know, with Spencer Rattler and all that, that was very unique. You know what I mean? Like, Spencer Rattler wasn't playing terrible. He had a bad game against Texas and Caleb Williams came in and played, you know, really good for a few games. And then he, he himself struggled at times too. So this idea that, you know, Jackson Arnold is ready to go right now to be a day one starter. I mean, maybe he could be, maybe he couldn't be, but we've seen time and again over the years. And again, we got spoiled a little bit by the Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, Jalen hurts um, era of Oklahoma football that it's not always a foregone conclusion that a true freshman, even with all the talent and all the skills that a Jackson Arnold has can step in right away and, and be 
the the game changer you think he's going to be. You know, like I, I think that's an unfair expectation and an unfair um, kind of weight to put on a kid like that. Like he just got to college three months ago. And now we're kind of putting all of our eggs in that basket. Like, let's give that time. If Dylan Gabriel falters, <laughs> I welcome it sooner fan. You won't be the first one to do so. And so I'll welcome it. You know, if he falters and he just plays terrible, then I can see it, but I don't think he will. I really don't think so. Because aside from the West Virginia game, there wasn't really a game where Dylan Gabriel played terrible. There were moments where, you know, he missed a throw here and there, but otherwise the offense was really, really good. And, you know, get better on third down, get better in the red zone. And this thing is a whole lot better than what it was a year ago. You know, I will say somebody texted into the radio station today, and I think they're right, John, with this takeaway. It feels like we're, and and I don't even even almost want to put this out into the atmosphere, but I'm going to say it because I do think it's true. There's a faction of the fan base, and I Sooner fan, I'm not tossing you into this mix necessarily. I'm just saying it's indicative of kind of where this is headed a little bit because if there's failures at the quarterback position and you've got the five-star quarterback in Jackson Arnold, this thing could turn similarly nasty as it did several years ago with Spencer Rattler. I hope that doesn't happen with the fan base, even if things go poorly. For Dylan Gabriel, and I get it, and I've been the first one leading the band and the parade down uh, Lindsay Street and Jenkins and everywhere that, look, it's Oklahoma football, and it comes with a territory that this is not, hey, uh, congratulations for volunteering for Oklahoma football, and here's your orange slice, and did you have a nice time? This is Oklahoma football, right? So with uh, the territory comes great responsibility, but I hope we don't get to that point to where Dylan Gabriel's getting booed out of the the stadium because – Lo and behold, you know, whether or not it's good or bad with Dylan Gabriel this season, ultimately, here's somebody that committed to come in to stabilize Oklahoma's quarterback position. And I hope that does not get lost on the fan base, good or bad, in uh, 2023. But I'm just saying there's some tea leaves out there that we're kind of heading in that direction. And yeah, man, I would be so I would be bummed if we went that way again. But anyway, that's that we're not going to put that out in the atmosphere. We're going to think even though I just did, John, and I apologize. I reject it. I reject the scenario where Dylan Gabriel gets booed off the field. You know, um, this this coaching staff is loyal to Dylan Gabriel, and I don't see them benching him um, unless it's just. He's just start off, starts off like over 12 with three picks and, you know, he's getting sacked because he doesn't know where to go with the football. You know what I mean? Like if he's just having one of those kind of games where you got to pull your starting goalie because he's just a sieve on that day, that's, but he's not going to be, he's going to be good. You know, he's a good quarterback. Is he one of the best quarterbacks in the country? No, but you don't have one of the best quarterbacks in the country. You've got Dylan Gabriel. You've got a good quarterback, uh, probably a top 15 quarterback in the country. You're not going to have the best quarterback in the country every single year on your roster. You hope to, but the re- you hope to, but the reality is you're going to have some years where it's Trevor Knight and Blake Bell. No disrespect to those guys. You're going to have some years where it's um, Nate Hibble. You know what I mean? Like you, you just have to live with the idea that you've got good quarterback play, not phenomenal Heisman Trophy winning quarterback play, and you got to understand that wins and losses don't just come down to the quarterback. The quarterback takes all the heat for him, but wins and losses come are a football team thing. Football is the biggest team sport ever. It takes 22 guys on two sides of the ball, a defense and offense takes an offensive line, wide receivers, running backs, coaches, all of it working in harmony to win games. It doesn't all just come back on the, on the quarterback. Jet, you can disagree with me. That's fine. He might just be a game manager. You know what game managers have done in the past? Won Super Bowls, okay? Trent Dilfer, game manager. Brad Johnson, game manager. Won a Super Bowl. I mean, people would argue Stetson Bennett was a game manager and took Georgia to two national titles. You can win with game managers. You don't need a guy to go out there and throw for 400 yards every single time out on the field. You got to have to guy, got to have a guy that protects the football, comes through in clutch situations. Was Dylan Gabriel good in clutch situations last year? No, he wasn't. 
But also, I don't think the team was good in clutch situations last year. I don't think the offensive play calling was good in clutch situations last year. The defense wasn't good in clutch situations last year. So you just got to – and I know we were supposed to be wrapping this up, but this just kind of got me on my high horse all of a sudden with the NFL draft approaching. Like, wins and losses are not all completely on the quarterback. We don't have to have a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback. I mean, during the Lincoln-Riley era, you did. You had to have a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback. But guess what? We're heading in a different direction where you're not going to have to have a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback to win. That's the direction they're heading. Dylan Gabriel, like this team is not going to win a national title this year. But that's okay. We're building something. Again, Dylan Gabriel is part of that building process. Do you want to throw Jackson Arnold out there and it not, him not be ready? I mean, you could. You could want to do that. But again, I'm 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 venting. We need to save some of this for later in the week. Maybe we can have this Dylan Gabriel Jackson Arnold discussion with Josh. I'll give you your kind of the the uh, Stetson Benton. He could have won the Heisman this year, Sooner Cowboy, but he wasn't the Heisman Trophy winner or the Heisman contender the first year that they won the national title. He kind of just like helped them get there because that's what quarterbacks do. It takes a whole team. Well, rant over. The beautiful thing here is. Look at this interaction we've created in this great discussion and potentially a debate to be had. It's it's a wonderful thing on Locked On Sooners Live. And I would say negative to a positive potentially for Oklahoma is this. And I said as much last season, and I'll just reiterate it again here. I'm hopeful that the, the mystique was taken away in this regard for Oklahoma, that the mirage was lifted for Oklahoma to where – if you want to consistently go out and compete and win national championships occasionally to get like Alabama and yes, Georgia, you got to be able to do it with a quarterback like a Dylan Gabriel, right? Because the, the, some of the parts are better defensively, uh, you know, ability to turn and, you know, we're talking offensive line from the spring game. It's got to get light years better to be able to turn and just hand the football off and go win a game right now. Oklahoma, based on what we saw in the spring game, is not capable, to me, of going and beating an elite football team where they lean on the run game. Doesn't look like they're good enough to do that right now. That's where Oklahoma needs to get to. And hopefully, hopefully, if, if you guys are right and Dylan Gabriel's not that great quarterback at the University of Oklahoma, hopefully he shifts Oklahoma in that direction to where it's the realization sinks in, okay, we got to get a lot better across the board. And that is a final thought for you tonight on Locked On Sooners Live. And we're going to be covering Oklahoma football all off season. We're going to be talking about this all spring, summer long. We'll be here five days a week with you here on Locked On Sooners. So subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. We're free and available on all podcast platforms. You can even listen to us ad free over on Amazon Prime if you're a Prime member. So go check that out. But subscribe to the show on YouTube as well. We're just like 132 subscribers from hitting 4,000. Our goal is to get there before we hit the summertime. So help us hit that by hitting that subscribe button, hit that like and notification bell to let you know when new episodes drop. Again, we're here every Monday night, 9 p.m. Central time for the live show. We'll keep dishing out recruiting later this week as well as the wider series continue to trend toward Oklahoma. Might even get a commitment this week. But again, the dominoes are rolling. We'll continue to cover that and more on Lockdown Series. We'll have more takeaways from the spring game, more audio, video from the spring game as well. So make sure to be around for that. But until next time, again, thanks to everybody that hung out with us in the chat. Always a good time watching y'all debate and uh, ask your questions as well. So we appreciate all the really positive feedback from you guys. It's, It's a lot of fun to do this every week. So until then, he's Josh Helmer. I'm John Williams. We'll catch you then. Boomer Sooner.